0: Together, If you have a Bible this morning, please turn to Romans chapter 8. There's a phrase, there's a word that's coming to my mind uh, right now. I try to uh, live a life of transparency, and there's a word that's coming in my mind right now, and that's the word of change. I don't know if you like change or not. I like change sometimes. Uh, Sometimes I don't, depending on the change. There's good change and bad change. But Mary Lane and I uh, have a change in our life that we'd like to uh, share with you. And I think some rumors through the hallway of the church have already begun to spread. And that's okay, because that's what rumors are for, right? Back uh, just before Christmas, uh, Mary Lane pulled me aside and had a chat with me. And uh, it's one of those chats where you know change in your life is coming. And uh, she explained to me uh, how nature works. And she uh, explained, no, I'm just kidding about that. Uh, Explained to me. And uh, we are expecting baby Carter number three uh, in August. August 7th is uh, when that baby is due. Thank you. I appreciate your prayers more than your applause. Uh, but God is good another sign of God's grace in our lives and we're just excited for uh, that gift that God has given us life is a gift from God isn't it It's a precious precious gift from God and uh, we're excited to see the miracle that life is uh, of of a baby being conceived and uh, I've shared many times with you I believe uh, life starts at conception and we're so excited about to see that miracle of God in our lives so Pray for Mary Lane. Um, God's always blessed her with pretty easy pregnancies. Um, That's not to make anyone jealous. Uh, Not everyone's blessed in that way, but she's doing great. Um, We had an appointment this week. Baby's doing well. And so we're excited about God's gift to our family as we trudge on for a few more years as we extend that out of the lack of sleep in our house. So anyway, Romans chapter 8. How is the scripture memory going? How is that going, that journey that we're going on together this year of 2017 of of memorizing Romans chapter 8. We're studying uh, during our worship gatherings together, uh, Romans chapter 8 here as we kick off our new year uh, of Romans chapter 8. Well, how is that going? You should, hopefully, and if you haven't, that's okay. We're going to have built-in review weeks or catch-up weeks of Romans chapter 8, but we've memorized so far Romans 1 verses 1 through 2, and it says... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's pretty easy to memorize, right? If you haven't started yet, you can do that. This week, we'll start memorizing verses uh, 1 through 3. And we're reading through Paul's epistles, the letters of Paul together as a faith family, as we seek to allow the Word of God change us in our lives. Well, two weeks ago, we, had, we weren't here gathered together last week because of, again, the ice storm, that everyone, uh, Ice-Mageddon, as I begin to call it, that never happened. But last week, we saw in Romans, or two weeks ago, we saw in Romans 8, 1 through 4, that in Christ, the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 8, he's kind of throwing a party here. The Apostle Paul is celebrating the life of the Christian, of what the Apostle Paul, uh, of what the life of the believer receives. Paul uh, is explaining to us that in the life of a believer, this is what's taking place. He's kind of opening opening the hood of the car of the Christian life. He's celebrating all of that. You've probably noticed in our scripture reading plan that Romans 1 through 3 especially, it's pretty dark, right? It's pretty dark. We talk about... How we as human beings were sinful, God's wrath upon sin. But then we approach here, Romans chapter 8, and the Apostle Paul is celebrating all that Christ is providing everyone that's a believer. And it says, he said, and we saw this two weeks ago, that in Christ, that judgment and guilt is removed. There's no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the guilt and the judgment that comes with sin is removed. We also saw that there's freedom, spiritual freedom in Christ, not freedom just to do whatever we want, but freedom from sin, that sin does not reign in our lives anymore. And then we saw that because of Christ's work on the cross, his substitution, his sacrifice for sin was sufficient, that he took the sacrifice for sin for us and it was sufficient in the eyes of God. And then that there was a great exchange that took place on the cross. Christ took upon our sin, and then we were credited as righteousness. Jesus substituted himself in our place. Jesus took the condemnation that should have been placed upon us that we deserved, and he took upon that condemnation, and then we are credited with righteousness to our account. We are, Jesus took upon sin, we received righteousness, there's a great exchange there, so the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us. Well, this morning we're going to see here in Romans 8, verses 5 through 11, that Paul is going to do some comparing and contrasting now. Paul is going to contrast the fleshly life versus the spiritual life. Paul is going to contrast the life of a believer versus the life of an unbeliever. Now, there's some thought that when we come here to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, there is a belief that maybe Paul is comparing and contrasting the life of a carnal Christian, someone who's a Christian but keeps falling back in sin, versus the obedient Christian. That's not what's taking place here at all. Because we look at what's going on in the rest of Romans chapter 8, the context of Romans chapter 8, he's very clearly comparing and contrasting human depravity versus salvation. And you should have some notes there in your worship guys, some fill-in-the-blank notes that'll help guide us as we study this passage together. But take a Bible here and look at Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. And it says this, For those who live according to the flesh... Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to, set the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In this passage, we see Paul describing human depravity versus salvation. Well, let's start with human depravity. What is human depravity? You might even be th- sitting there thinking, Adam, stop throwing fancy theological words around. Okay, I can hear that. But let me explain to you what human depravity is. It's pretty simple to understand. Human depravity is the simple is simply this, the sinful nature that every human being possesses. It is the tendency that each one of us has to... To sin, Every one of us have a tendency to sin and the inability to do anything spiritually good before God. We saw this a couple weeks ago in our scripture reading in Romans 3 verse 9, where Paul says, There is no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. One. And that's not a popular thought today, is it? Because we all like to think that we're genuinely good people, right? Like many of us here today, we think, well, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't done some of these terrible sins. And in our human psychology, we have a tendency to begin to rank sins, right? Like we have murder and rape and these terrible sins way up high, but then there's these other sins that really aren't quite as bad. But we have to understand God's perspective of sin because God does not have a ranking system of sin. Sin is sin to God. And so there's many people who think, well, I'm a good person, I'm really not that sin- sinful, but in reality, we all lie. We all cheat. We lust. We lust. We get angry, we get bitter, and so to deny human depravity is to deny a very real spiritual reality. Each one of us are born into this state. To deny human depravity is really spiritually naive. We're all born into this state. We all inherited our sinful nature from our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden. What we read about this reality this week in Romans 5, verse 12, Paul said, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. We're all depraved. We all are in the state of human depravity. So let's talk about that. Paul kind of unpacks this idea of human depravity for us. So let's, let's look at it here, and you, you'll see this in your notes. First of all, the description of human depravity is human depravity is a state of bondage. It's a state of bondage. To help describe human depravity, Paul uses the word flesh. He uses this a few times. And in verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. He's saying that the deprived mind is set on the things of the flesh. It's constantly desiring characteristics of the fallen, sinful human nature. It thinks as the world thinks. It disregards God. In the the depraved state of mind that we all have, this is how we think. We can't help it. And here's how this works. How we think will eventually lead to how we act. Before every action, there's a thought. And so we carry out our sinful nature in our minds and then in our actions. And so then how we think will eventually lead to how we act. It's a sinful state of mind of human depravity. And there's no relief from it. It's a constant cycle. The individual can't help but think this way. We can't help it. We're We're enslaved to this thought process. We're enslaved in bondage. And there's this idea that Christianity is oppressive, right? We hear that in our culture today. That, well, I don't want to follow God. I don't want to become a believer. I don't want to be a Christian because Christianity is oppressive and it's kind of dehumanizing. Well, that might be true in other forms of religion, but not in Christianity. Because Christianity believes that before salvation, every human being are slaves to sin. Every one of us. There is no freedom. And sin is the one that is oppressive and dehumanizing. And here's the beauty of Christianity. Because in Christianity, God came in Jesus Christ. God gave up his rights. Jesus Christ gave up the rights he had to God. Philippians 2 said that he thought equality with God a thing not to be grasped at, a thing to be achieved. So God gave up some of his rights and God became God in the flesh. He experienced the limitations of being a human being. And then Jesus took on our sinful condition on the cross that we saw two weeks ago. He exchanged his righteousness for our sinfulness, we were credited with righteousness so that we would not be under the rule of sin anymore. Christ provided freedom from sin, as we saw two weeks ago, to be save us from the state of bondage. So in reality, Christianity is about spiritual freedom, not bondage and oppression. And then second, human depravity is hostile to God. There's a spiritual war going on human depravity is hostile hostile to God it said in verse 7 look again at verse 7 he said for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it cannot submit to God's laws indeed it cannot now this may not this hostility to God in the lives of us as human beings it may not be outward hostility and rebellion It may not be a rebellion where we're just shaking our fist at God and just living an outward rebellion to Him. But it can be, oftentimes in our lives, and I've found in my own life, passive-aggressive. We can have this passive-aggressive idea to God or think we can somehow manipulate God. Well, if I do good things, then God will be happy with with me and I'll get something from God. That's manipulation. That's passive-aggressiveness. Because here is the reality for each one of us, is we want control. We want to call the shots. Each one of us here, we are each control freaks. We want control. We're controlling people. And the sinful heart and mind, at its core, wants to be in control. We want to call the shots. We don't want anyone to tell us how to live. We want to control our own destiny, right? And there's a war going on between our sinful flesh, our sinful thoughts, and our desires, and God. The sinful nature, on one hand, wants to be on the throne, wants to be in control, but as we understand the life of the believer, it means giving up control and allowing Jesus to be king in our lives and turning our lives completely over to him. So then again, this thought of Christianity being binding and dehumanizing might come into to place, to, into play. But we have to remember something here. God, through Jesus, has adjusted to us. God initiated love to us. God and Jesus changed for us in becoming a human being. And facing the limitations of being a human, equally God, equally man, and he served us through his sacrifice on the cross. So we think of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, then we should be able to change for him. We should be able to submit our lives to Him and to give Him complete control of our lives to Him. Again, that idea, may, we may buck at that idea. We may, in our rebellious nature, say, nah, I don't want that. I don't want to be constrained. Well, 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says that the love of Christ constrains us. Now, that might not be something we're interested in. I think of that old song. I think Bing Crosby sings it. I've, I was born a few generations too late. I'm sorry. But Bing Crosby sings a song, Don't Fence Me In. Anyone else know that song? That's our human nature. Don't fence me in. Don't put me in a box. Don't put me in a box. So when we hear in Paul write in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that the love of Christ constrains us, we don't like that. We hate constraints. But let's understand Christianity in a correct way. The beauty of Christianity is that it's a love relationship with Christ. It's a love relationship. And every one of us as human beings, we are used to love relationships, right? Husband and wife. Father and son. Mother and daughter. We're used to love relationships. And within every, within every love relationship, there are constraints. There are boundaries there why it makes the relationship work like I am in a love relationship with my wife Mary Lane and if you are married here today you are in a love relationship well within that love relationship of marriage there are restraints there are boundaries because if not there would be hostility like I am not going to date other women why because of my love relationship with mary lane and she's not going to date with date other men and that might sound oppressive that might sound constraining but that makes our relationship work so every love relationship there are boundaries there are constraints the love relationship of marriage it is a life of adjusting of changing of compromising of mutual loss of independence And if not, there will be hostility in that marriage. Well, when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ and and knowing God, we have to change to his standards because he changed and died for us. He initiated love to us. He changed for us. We changed for him. But the sinful nature hates that. We hate the change. We hate constraints. We think it's oppressive. And we want control. And so because of that, human depravity is hostile to God. And then in number three, look at verse eight. Number three, in human depravity, it is impossible to please God. Verse eight, Paul says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. So because the sinful nature wants control... And once God in the backseat, it cannot please God. There's hostility there. And whenever there's hostility in a relationship, one of the the persons in that relationship is not going to be happy. And it's going to be impossible to please God. And the reality of Christianity, we can live however we want to live. And we can try to fill the godless void in our lives however we want to. But the reality is, and I think God's brought many of us to this place in our lives, it is not a happy place to be. It might offer temporary happiness, but it does not offer permanent happiness and joy in life because it's impossible to please God. And then number four, human depravity results in eternal death. Look again and back up at verse six. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And because God is holy, He cannot tolerate sin. He can't go against that nature of His. And also because He's also a God of justice, there has to be payment for sin. And that's eternal separation from Him. So that's bad news. So this description of human depravity is bad news. But praise God, this passage does not stop with bad news. It shares good news, because we also see a description of salvation. Within this passage, Paul describes the life of the believer, the life of the converted, and those who have trusted in the glorious work of Jesus Christ and received salvation. So number one, salvation provides life. It provides life. Look again at verse 6. Paul says, But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Paul heres explained that with salvation, a life of freedom is given for the believer. Just like we saw two weeks ago, in Christ, there's spiritual freedom. Salvation is a life of freedom. It gives life because every person, because of our depravity, we are dead spiritually. And as we will see in a minute, salvation in salvation, we are made alive spiritually. We are resuscitated. Because of salvation. Salvation, yes, provides eternal life with God in heaven forever, but salvation also gives meaning to this current life here on earth as well. Salvation provides a purpose for life, a mission to accomplish. We as believers, we're not just here biding time until we die and go to heaven. No, we we are given a purpose in life. We are given a mission to go and make disciples of all nations to accomplish together. There is community in the life of salvation. Salvation provides life. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 10. I love this verse. Write this down on the side of your notes. You can look at it later. Jesus Jesus told his disciples in John 10.10, The thief, the enemy, Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it what abundantly Abundantly or to the full. (laughs) Jesus is saying, I came to provide the opportunity for people to have a rich and satisfying life. So faith, family, Christianity is not a faith of oppression, but it provides a rich and satisfying life. An eternal life, an eternal relationship with God and with God forever. So salvation, it brings life spiritually. It brings life eternally and in this current earthly life as well. But salvation doesn't just provide life. It provides peace. We see here in verse 6, we see life and peace side by side together. And here in salvation, peace is given. God gives peace. No longer is the life of a believer a life of hostility towards God, going against everything of, against God's will, everything to do with God, but it's a life of agreement with God. It's following God's will and His purposes, making His agenda our agenda. And in that, we experience peace and agreement. Then third, salvation provides the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look, look down in verse nine now. Look down in verse nine. He, it says, you, however, he's talking you, he's talking to believers, he's talking to Roman believers. Paul says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So here is a monumental reality in the life of every believer. So if you are a believer this morning in Jesus Christ, don't miss this. And sometimes I think we overlook this. Because the monumental reality in the life of the believer is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Through salvation, the Holy Spirit, God in the Spirit, comes into the life of the believer and is God's presence in each of our lives. The Holy Spirit is Emmanuel, God with us right now. We are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a comforting thought. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going back to the Father, I'm going away. And that really bothered the disciples, didn't it? They got a little nervous about that. They didn't want Jesus to leave. But Jesus said, I'm going to provide you a comforter who will be my presence in your life. And so the reality for every believer is we have God living in us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And salvation brings a spiritual resurrection because the salvation results in regeneration. There's change. There's something new there. Look down in verses 10 through 11. I can't wait till we memorize these verses. These are really good verses. Powerful, rich verses. He says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through whose, through whose Spirit dwells in you. Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, salvation results in regeneration. Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He gives us life to that which is dead spiritually. Salvation brings a spiritual resurrection or regeneration through the Holy Spirit. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in the Gospel of John, that was a picture of what the Holy Spirit was going to do to the one that is depraved, to the sinful person. There is going to be a resurrection. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Hold your finger here in Romans uh, chapter 8, but I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. And look at verse 1. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's bad news. That's the life of human depravity. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 4. But God... God brings the initiation, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age we might know the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works which God prepared before him, that we should walk in them so salvation results in regeneration what a contrast in ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 between ephesians 4 verses 1 through 10 there's a huge contrast here there's a regeneration that takes place so every person is dead in our trespasses and sins but god initiates towards us god moves towards us and it's not anything we do because honestly something that's dead doesn't do anything God makes us alive. And the Holy Spirit brings life to the spiritually dead. Now, here's a truth that we can take to the bank. So this is the second thing I encourage you not to miss. Here's the reality of a spiritual regeneration. The same God, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The God that raised Jesus. Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. Oftentimes we as believers we overthink, we 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 we, we think over that. We brush that aside. We don't meditate on the reality that the Holy Spirit indwells in us, that he is there to comfort us, to convict us of sin, to give us power in service and in ministry. And we have the God who raised Jesus from the dead living in us. Praise God for that. And we are regenerated through his power. Now, as we wrap this up, turn back over to Romans chapter 8. I want us to look at one more thing. Look at Romans chapter 8 and look up again at verse 4. This wasn't included in the passage we studied so far this morning, but we looked at this two weeks ago. But this ties in very, very well into verses 5 through 11. Look at verse 4 of Romans 8. Or go up to the middle of verse 3. It says, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I want to leave you with a comforting thought here this morning if you're a believer. You don't have to be good. Good. In fact, let me say this. Stop being good. You can't do it. I can't do it. We have no goodness in us. It is only through the Spirit and walking in the Spirit that we can be changed and becoming like Jesus Christ. All that if we have looked at this morning from going to from human depravity to salvation, this is not something we do. Because as Ephesians 2.1 says, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people, dead things don't do anything. So we have no capability of doing anything. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that makes us alive. Then there is not enough power to live righteously. We can't live righteously. We don't work up to this. This is not something we work towards. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Because even after salvation, and this happened in my life this week, and I think if if all of us are honest, this happened in all of our lives this week, we go back to our depraved, sinful lives, don't we? There's a part of us that wants to go back to that. There's this eternal struggle that I want control right now. I want to make this decision in my life right now. And we need the Holy Spirit to convict us of that and change us of it. Just like Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit that God told them not to, we still choose to go against God, and we need the Holy Spirit to continually be regenerating us, continually making us more and more and like Jesus Christ. And here's the reality for each one of us, and there's a lot of realities in this passage. We need God. We need God to intervene in our lives on a daily basis. We need God to change. We need God to help us to leave that depraved state of mind and to live and walk according to the Spirit. Because we all have this tendency, and Paul writes about it, and you can hear the frustration in his voice. He's like, just like a dog goes back to its what? Vomit. Vomit. We want to go back to our old state of mind. Just like Leanna read in Romans chapter 6, he says, put off the old self, put it away. But we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that sounds like a big job, and it is, but the, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And you have the power, I have the power to fight and win and defeat sin by God's grace. So I have two prayers for us this morning. First of all, for maybe someone that's here that's an unbeliever, that does not know Jesus Christ, this might sound very foreign to you. My prayer is that God will take Romans 8... Verses five through eleven, that you will see the comparison and the contrasting of the human of human depravity versus the life of salvation, and that the Holy Spirit will create such dissatisfaction with a life without Jesus, and He will give you a desire to trust and follow Jesus. And then, for those of us as believers, I pray that we will run to Christ. We will die to ourselves daily. We will ask the the Holy Spirit to grow us in our satisfaction in Jesus Christ, that He will sanctify us to become more like Christ, and we will grow in grace and become more and more like Jesus so that all may know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Pray with me. We're going to spend just a minute Here in prayer, our worship team is going to lead us in a song of response together. But I want us to take just about 30 seconds as they get in place to meditate on these truths. Maybe you just want to look there at your notes that you took this morning and bring those back to to mind and marinate and meditate upon these truths that God has brought to us from His Word. And then we're going to stand and sing together. So Roxanne's going to play and we're going to pray together.